Welcome to the 50th episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we discuss murders and intrigue us. I'm Mercedes. And I am Cindy. Thank you to lis- Thank you for listening to our last episode where Japanese tourists, oh boy, Masumi Wananabe, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> was murdered by a crazed bug man in Hawaii. Our show is often horrifying and graphic, and we do use offensive language, so if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. Also, we're passionate and always have been about true crime, but we must warn you, sometimes we're going to make jokes and laugh during our podcast. Want to learn more about us? Please visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com to find links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. If you like what you hear and you'd like to support us, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a five-star rating along with a comment, please. Also, please recommend our podcast to your friends. The more, the merrier. Hey, Cindy, happy 50th anniversary, or 50th episode anniversary. (laughs) Hi, thank you. Yay. Uh, I'm so excited. I'm so happy for us because definitely this is a milestone. Do you think we would have 50 episodes? Uh, Well, I think maybe, but it doesn't seem like it's been a year already. It does not feel like it's been a year. It has been exactly a year, right? just came across my Facebook feed. And, I mean, we have... I mean, I'm really proud because we've accomplished a lot in here. We have over 13,000 total plays. 14 now. 14,000 just from last week. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, we have an established audience of like 230, and we love each and every one of you. Thank you. Yes. Uh, now, yeah. if each and every one of you could please go and give us a rating, that would be fantastic. With, yeah, with a comment. You have to have yeah. the comment or it doesn't count. And I don't know why. I have no idea why. Yeah, something about the comment. I mean, yeah. it shows up, but I don't think people... I don't know. I don't know if it's like taken as seriously if there's not the comment. Like, yeah. I don't know. Well, Even if it's, you know. I don't think it counts in like the algorithms. When you, Like if you were to type mm. in true crime podcast, we would not pop up. Right. Without a lot of ratings. So I think yeah. that definitely matters. So, hey, we would be grateful if you could do that for us. Um, thanks so much for hanging out with us these last 49 episodes, too. Because yes. we really thank you so much. And also, um, Cindy's going to announce our winners at the end of this. So make sure you listen all the way to the end. Maybe we'll say your name. Yeah. Yeah. And Cindy, thank you for hanging in there. I mean, (laughs) I know that at the beginning, this was all kind of like, you're like, let's do this. Let's do this. And here we are now. And I'm like dragging you with me. So, you know, your crazy life. Thanks for hanging in there. My life is crazy. Yeah. It is. is, But I have young kids and. Yeah, you do. You know. It's you know what, but they're not that young. No, they and just figure that once they both start driving and graduating from high school, it's all over from there. I know, right? I know. And well, then your life really begins. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we, um, you know, yesterday was the anniversary of Hurricane Hurricane Michael. Yes, and we narrowly escaped. Narrowly Hurricane escaped Delta. Yeah, isn't wasn't it so fitting that yesterday was so windy and and rainy here? I mean, mm-hmm. it we had some pretty big wind gusts i mean nothing like yeah yeah. so i hope all of our fans out there are fans listen to me all of our (laughs) listeners (laughs) all of our listeners out there um stayed safe you know my husband's in disaster recovery and he said that lake charles is really bad you know they got hit double whammy whammy, yeah so he'll probably head out this week to go there but i mean um, i couldn't imagine if we got hit with another hurricane after well they still have all the debris the piles and piles Mm -hmm. of debris if you can imagine just like 
you know, 20, 20 feet tall piles of debris lined up along the road. And then the hurricane comes in and just blows that blows everywhere. It. Oh, that's it's a, dangerous. It's, a, it's dangerous and it's a mess. But, you know, he, they evacuate the whole town. Yeah. So it's, I yeah, think. They were probably like, we're getting the hell out yeah. of here. I mean, like if that would have, that storm would have come any closer to us. I don't know what I would have done. But uh, well, I can tell you that I would have gone on vacation. <laughs> I would have, you know, and I just always make sure I get the patio furniture and all that, all the things outside battened down. But I'm not going to I'm not going to stay. I've stayed through a lot of hurricanes, but I don't know if I get a feeling I'll leave. Yeah. Well, I stayed through Hurricane mm-hmm. Michael Category 5. Yeah. And we won't be doing that again. No. Mm-mm. Well, it wasn't a Cat 5 when. Well, it was. It, it hit hadn't... as a Cat Five, but yeah. it wasn't. It wasn't predicted to be a Cat Five. No. They didn't even know it was a Cat Five until almost what six months later. Yeah, or something? six months later, they were yeah. like, "Oh yeah, you were right." Because we were all saying like, no, "That was definitely a Cat Five, right?" Yeah, we laugh now, but it it was. Um, I mean, we still have PTSD and depression, and it's, when I hear it's sirens, really it's the sirens mm-hmm. that get me because living where we lived in like so the chainsaws. Them. Yeah. Oh, and the, and the sirens. Yeah, definitely sirens. The sirens. Yeah. And weird to hear a generator because uh-huh. there was that hum of generators for what? How long were we oh my without? Gosh. Almost a month we yeah. were without power. Yeah. And so just that constant hum. And then one day you walk outside and you don't hear the hum of generators. It's like, wow. It's an absence of sound. Yeah. 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 People were showering like in parking lots. Like Salvation Army would bring mm-hmm. out. Um, and Red Cross would bring out, you know, uh, what do they call that? Like travel showers yeah. or whatever they, and they are. Did the washer and the yeah. washers and stuff. Washers too. and dryer. Yeah, yeah. T- yeah. I mean, so, I remember. Thank God for all the people yes. who respond to natural disasters because they saved our lives for oh, sure, yes. and re- still are. Yes, I yeah. mean, I just remember eating a Salvation Army meal yeah. or a Red Cross meal because we had both of them, and uh-huh. I was just like, it was just so surreal because that wasn't something I ever thought I would ever do in right. my life yeah. was, you yeah. know, and I was or just, MREs. We got a lot of MREs. I still have a lot of, I had some to begin with. <laughs> yeah. Now I have more. <laughs> you You're ready for the apocalypse. <laughs> oh, you have no idea. All right. So are you ready for murder? <laughs> yes. All right. Let's get going. Okay. So this week's episode was widely reported on when it occurred in May of 2015. Okay. So up through the trial and conviction in October 2018. But as usual, and by my personal choice, I did miss it. <laughs> yeah, I I did not. I'm not aware of this murder either. Okay, but, but the media, yeah, the media dubbed it the Mansion Murders, and I was going to ask you, have you ever heard of the Mansion Murders? By the way, I have to say that this is our second time recording this. <laughs> um, the first time we we got a little too sassy celebrating our 50th episode, and in our last recording, Sydney said, "Oh." I thought that said Manson murders. <laughs> so you know how she reads. You know how she reads in her words. So yeah. Mansion, not Manson, Cindy. Sorry. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So this one was horrific and I'm giggling and everything. But this one really did bother me. The couple that I had done, that I told you, really, really bothered mm-hmm. me. And this one did also because the each victim in the family, like, I just have deep respect. I think nobody said anything negative, And I love the way these people lived. And they were just good people. Mm-hmm. Um, it was horrific. It was a home invasion that devolved into extortion, torture, murder, and arson. So I'm just hoping that my retelling does them justice. I am only using articles and newspapers and um, uh, news sources. So I didn't really get too many details from the trial. Right. Couldn't find them. Right. But I did find some some testimony. So, all right, here we go. A 911 call came into a Washington, D.C. dispatcher at about 1.20 p.m. on Thursday, May 14, 2015. The caller reported that flames and smoke were 
pouring out of a mansion in the upscale Woodley Park neighborhood in Washington, D.C. Now, this was just around the corner from where then-Vice President Joe Biden lived. First responders quickly arrived to find two upstairs windows. Um, one was like had flames pouring out of it, and the other had like black smoke, black smoke coming out of it. When firefighters got into the building that got upstairs, all vision was obstructed. Like they could not see anything. So they were kind of like feeling around. And one of the firefighters, Corey Goats is what I'm going to call him. He was blindly feeling his way about um, um, around one of the rooms, the one where all the flames are pouring out to make sure that there was no one in there. And he came across a body that had been melted into a mattress. Jeez. And the mattress was kind of like, already kind of sinking into the floor mm-hmm. mm. after putting out the fire in both rooms firefighters discovered that the fire must have been set to cover up what was the scene of carnage four bodies in total in one bedroom it was three adults and then what appeared to be a child in the other one Jeez. so the room where the three adults were found was not badly damaged by the fire it was quite obvious that it had been the scene of a bloodbath it's just terrible the bodies were quickly determined to be those of 46-year-old Sava Savopoulos, his 47-year-old wife, Amy, their 10-year-old son, Philip, and their 57-year-old housekeeper, Vera Alicia. Um, she went by Vera Figueroa. Evidence in the upstairs bedroom sh- showed a horrific scene. The trauma-ridden bodies of the Savopoulos parents were found in a second-floor bedroom near Vera Figueroa, who was alive when they got there. She died en route to the hospital. Mm. She died either en route to the hospital or right when she got there, right when they got her there. But what, what but she wasn't in any state to where she was able she, to speak. Or she would know. And, you know, it was just a matter of time, I believe. Yeah. Um, mm. A medical examiner determined that all three died of sharp force injuries and that Sav- Savas and Vera were strangled. Philip, who was 10, died of thermal inju- injuries. Oh. Basically, he was burned oh. alive. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Court documents say the fire was primarily in started in his bedroom and it appeared to be doused. Uh, it appeared to be started with gasoline. And later on, I'm going to tell you that all of them, every single person was doused with gasoline. Oh, my God. That's awful. Mm-hmm. That podcast you told me about in the red clay. Yes. Uh, they were talking about on there on how to like start fires because, you know, there was a lot of fire starting in that, uh-huh. epi- in that podcast and they were saying that you you shouldn't use gasoline right because it's very it will flame up and explode and all of that and they were right. like kerosene and then you end it with gasoline I right was like okay i'm writing that down <laughs> well they knew i mean they yeah. had perfected their crimes oh, yeah, yeah. all right so the community was shocked this is in an upscale area of washington dc there are a lot of movers and shakers who lived in this neighborhood so I mean, people were shocked. What what happened? Yeah, that what kind of happened? Thing doesn't happen. In this it doesn't area. happen because there's a lot of security there. It doesn't happen in anyone's neighborhood. I mean, really, you know, that's not like even in the lowest of low or the scummiest of scummiest. Well, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there are there are home invasions where people are killed yeah, and stuff, but yeah. not like home invasions. This brutal murder and then house set right. fire. Right. I mean, that's not like a you know a hap a common right. thing that's happening in all neighborhoods. No, so. it's not. But especially in Yeah, you know. especially in this neighborhood where you you and of course police reacted instantly, oh, you know. I, I mean, I, especially yeah. if the vice pre- president lived right around the corner. Right. Yeah. So what happened to the seemingly perfect family? They wonder. Now people shared the most wonderful memories of these victims. They said great things about Savas and Amy, but what was most chilling to everyone was the death of the 10-year-old boy Philip. Known as Mini Savas, 
because he was exactly like his daddy, he walked like him, and he had this really firm handshake and already had a presence, and he was only 10 years old. He was um, he was into sports, athletics. He loved racing. He was a, um, a race car driver, mm-hmm. this little 10-year-old. Yeah. Phillip's racing coach said that he once wrote a letter to Sava saying, if I ever have a son, I want him to be just like Philip." Philip's grandfather spoke about the boy's love of Harry Potter, trains, and Washington sports teams, and his sisters talked about how funny and cute he was and how much they missed his smile and cuddles. They also said that, you know, he had a soul that was way older than his 10 years. Uh, Just days before the tragedy, the family celebrated Mother's Day, where the oldest Savopolis daughter posted a Mother's Day message on Facebook, publicly thanking her mom for always believing in her and supporting her. And both teenage daughters, neither of whom was home at the time of the murders, moved in with their grandparents after the tragedy. Mm. Okay, so who was this family? Yeah. Well, Savas and Amy Savopoulos were a lovely, successful couple who lived their best lives with their children in Washington, D.C. They met at the University of Maryland. She was a major in economics, and he was a major in business and analytic philosophy. Whatever that is. Yeah, analytic is, yeah. Anyway, the two (laughs) fell in love instantly and were always known as a couple. And one friend commented that Savas and Amy were like peanut butter and jelly. Savas was driven and charismatic and Amy was happy and bubbly. She happily converted to the Greek Orthodox faith because Savas was a faithful Greek Orthodox. And after graduation on June 4th, 1994, the two married in a typical big fat Greek wedding at St. Sophia Greek Orthodox Cathedral in Washington, D.C. And this is where Savas has always gone, like from childhood up. Have you ever been to a big fat Greek wedding? I have not. I have. You have? I haven't even seen the movie. Oh, really? How? Because, um, you know what? I was raised by a man and I live in a house full of men and I don't see very many chick flicks. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You so watch it. It's funny. Okay, well, I might. I, I think I've tried, and I don't know. I mean, I just, it's like, silly. It's silly. Okay, yeah. well, I'll have to watch it. Anyway, uh, one of the friends who attended remembers that they did this Greek dancing in a big circle, mm-hmm. and it they was do. beautiful. And yeah. you, mm-hmm. Is that the one where they break the glass, or is that the Jewish wedding? Jew, um, Jewish wedding is when they stomp on the glass. Okay. Um, one of them, they lift each other up, and they dance around. Is that Jewish, mm-hmm. too? Okay. Um, no, that's Greek. Okay. They might do it. I know. Well, they do that at Bar, mitz- bar Mitzvah. Okay. Okay. But... Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. So after they got married, <laughs> Savas and Amy Savopoulos settled in Washington, D.C., where Savas grew up. And he ended up going to American University, where he earned a law degree. But he preferred engineering. They, they, this couple, they were kind, competitive, loyal, fun, educated, and spiritual. Savas and Amy grew their family. They had two girls and a boy. And they had two housekeepers who kind of who had worked for the family for many years. Uh, this uh, Vera and Nellie. Okay. So the boss ended up joining his father, Philip, and expanding their family business, the American Iron Works, into a multi-million dollar business. Now, I looked this company up. Mm-hmm. And it's major. Oh, yeah. Okay. This company, um, if you want to build a skyscraper or a bridge or basically anything using iron and steel, then this is the company that you want to call. Okay. They were also major players in rebuilding the Pentagon after 9-11, and Savas and American Ironworks received a personal commendation from the Secretary Secretary of Defense for their restoration work. Oh, wow. Nice. 
American Ironworks was founded in 1986. It's located in Hyattsville, Maryland, which is which is just outside of D.C., and it employs anywhere from 51 to 200 employees, depending on their contracts. At this time, it reports earnings of 10 to 25 million dollars a year. If you need a job, anyone out there, and you qualify, this is the company that to work for. It has high ratings from former employees. Awesome. One guy said, this is a great company, but a lot of work. I worked at American Ironworks full-time more than three years ago. Pros included good benefits and a good pay with an open-door policy. Cons included long hours, big workloads, and no real downtime between jobs. It's hard to get caught up. But if you're still getting paid, I mean, why complain? Yeah, I guess it's right. just hard work. Now, as you know, this is probably why it was so hard, um, such hard work. And there's no downtime between jobs is because good help is hard to find. Oh, yes, it is. Right. <laughs> so Savas created a welding training program that he opened to anyone struggling and who wanted to learn a trade. So basically, um, wow. it, you, it, you could apply, you could get financial aid or you could just, you know, get a discount. But basically, he trained people and he this opened the doors to many people with lower socioeconomic barriers yes it would most definitely yeah and i mean he was a philanthropist like that like Mm -hmm. he and his wife did things like that they did things for orphanages and i mean just i could go on and on about them which by the way i did in the one that we're not (laughs) sharing well there's a quote that it's it's actually it comes from a bible verse but rose kennedy always said it to her kids and it's basically those who have are obligated to give okay well and, they did yeah yeah and they they i mean they did wholeheartedly and then they still had fun in, in the meantime mm-hmm. i'm gonna look up that quote real fast okay yeah you do that okay so um american ironworks often hired the young people mostly young men who went through the certification program and as many of you know like a lot of the maryland areas around dc are you know full of impoverished people mm-hmm. so a, bis- a business associate said this about Savas. He was a brilliant man of impeccable character. He knew his employees and their families. And if someone was ill, he would ask them about it. He didn't act like a big shot. So he, you know, he would hobnob with, with the laborers. You know, he would say, oh, how are you today? Or how's your family? Um, it, he was just a pleasant guy to work for. Sounds like a very genuine guy. Yeah. He was a modern renaissance man, if I have to say so myself. Okay. He had a lot of talents and interests. On February 4th, 2014, he was granted a patent for welder having a wireless receiver for remote control. In addition, he was an active member of the Young President's Organization. So, Cindy, do you know what that is? I do not. Okay. Well, I looked it up, <laughs> of course. <laughs> and it's an elite club whose membership is exclusive only to CEO presidents under the age of 50. Oh. So they get together, they socialize. These are movers and shakers. They share ideas. They make, make deals. They they do things. They have, you know, fundraisers and events and things like that. And membership, as I said, is exclusive to presidents of, C, uh, presidents of companies as well as anyone under 50. So on your 50th birthday, you get a, a goodbye celebration and the gift of a rocking chair. That's funny, isn't it? I mean, because you're not old, but that's like you're, over the hook, you know? Right? That's yeah, cute. yeah, it I like is. That. I mean, it's prestigious to be a young president, right? So I mean, they need their own, yeah, little club, definitely. I, I would say. Yeah. So the family traveled the world, making memories through fantastic experiences. A memorable quote attributed to Savas just before he and his family took off for a year-long sailing trip to the Virgin Islands is. 
Who gives a shit what other people think? <laughs> right? Let's go make some poor decisions. His business associate said this was, this is Sava. Some people have a life and other people live a life. He loved life. He enjoyed living. The entire family was active and involved. Amy and Savas were philanthropists. As I said, they served on boards. They made contributions to Starlight Children's Foundation, the Children's National Medical Center, the National Child Research Center, and St. Sophia Greek Orthodox Cathedral. They also were highly involved in their kids' lives. They coached their kids' teams. They volunteered in classrooms. I mean, they were involved in the lives of their children, and they were well thought of by other parents, other children, teachers, coworkers, and friends. Basically, their kids were the center of their world. And when they had like big social events at home, dinner parties, their kids were never shuffled off to a back room. That's awesome. Their kids though. were like in there involved in, in yeah, socializing as well. Though, yeah, like, it, it makes them more confident when they're adults, you know. Yes. To be, you know, and to, yeah. teaching them how to appropriately raise their own right. children. Yeah. Did you find your quote? I know. I'm still looking. Oh, okay. I'm still good. Okay. All right. Now, Savas had his hands in other enterprises, too. He served on the board of an international trading company called Sigma Enterprises. Of course, I dealt with, I looked that up to you. Now, this company deals in international trading, like big time, like those huge ships that come into our Mm -hmm. port. Mm -hmm. Um, If you need something shipped to you, like mining equipment or heavy equipment or anything, then they'll put it on a cargo ship and make sure you get it. If you need it, they're going to get it to you. Now, Savas had many other projects as well, but one of his dreams since he was 17 was to open a traditional Japanese martial arts center. Hmm. This dream was his latest focus, and um, and it was to open in May 2015. He built the center in Chantilly, Virginia. It had a kitchen, two libraries, 2,000 feet of mat space, and sleeping quarters where live-in students could focus intently on their pursuit of martial arts. Savas himself was a master of the martial arts. He was also involved in international car racing. He served as a judge on like the International Court of Appeals of the Federation International de l'Automobile in Paris, France. Okay. He had been unanimously unanimously elected to this position. So, nice. I mean, just. He's, I mean, I feel like I'm drooling on and on about regarded. this man. Yeah, he is very highly regarded. Right. He and his wife loved the arts, um, including the opera. They were members of the Congressional and Chevy Chase Country Clubs. They were world travelers. He was a prolific photographer and a skilled powerboat enthusiast. And to his family and many friends, he represented loyalty and devotion, integrity, compassion, and courage. And everybody said the great things about his wife, too. She uh, had already been a world traveler before she started college. She was a military kid, and she lived throughout Germany and went throughout Europe a lot. And her values in life were reflected those experiences. God, why would anyone want them dead? Right? A jealousy? Well, yes, I'm glad you said that because that's what the prosecutor is going to say. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I just can't imagine what. I mean, I kind of feel like it is. It is kind of envy of a sort, and and um and resent you know resentful bitterness towards them because they're rich and live a great life. Yeah, I mean, by yeah. now, if mm-hmm. there was some shady underworld dealings that was going on, right? We they would have yeah. been able to find it in their research. Right. Now, she, he, I mean, he was extremely devoted to church. So he was, you know, he, she was involved in numerous charities and nonprofit organizations. She was selfless in giving, devoting hours to organize community events, fundraisers, and um, working in the schools. Now, the couple spared no expense. And I just wanted to throw this in there because their kids attended exclusive private schools. Okay. 
Philip attended a private boys' school near their Washington, D.C. mansion and tuition for this day school, just for day school, to go there and come home every day, was $49,280. Okay, you're rolling your eyes. I can't see that. I know. I'm just like, God, I can't imagine having, being able to spend that much money. Well, just on education. That's more than what Now, for our kids who board there, it's $69,427. Uniform, a suit and tie. Uh, bow tie, I think most of them were wearing, if I can remember correctly. And the architecture screamed old money and dead poet society. Oh, I love it. Yeah. The da- the daughters also attended exclusive boarding schools. They attended a boarding school. One of them d- attended a boarding school in Pennsylvania, about 90 miles northwest of D.C. Tuition for that was $60,000. The other daughter attended a boarding school further away in Jersey, which was $64,000. So that's over 180 grand a year for tuition, not to mention other expenses. Oh, yes. Wow. Well, you know, it's their kids' educations, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think that I probably said this last time, but, um, you know, three different schools for three different types of children. Right. You know, and each and school had its own, its own, like, appeal. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and it sounds like they're not that far. Nope. So they, I mean, 90 miles, that's a day. Right. I'm like, drive there and come yeah. back up. I need yeah. to see my kid. Hour and a half. My kid needs it's, to come well, home. Or, Tallahassee yeah. is further away from us. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's not like they had their kids in California where they couldn't get to them, right. like, very quickly. Yes. And I bet, just guessing here, that when they did have functions or whatever, their kids came home, you know. Yes. Yes, they were front mm-hmm. and center, but it wasn't like, oh, well... You're at school. You can just stay there. They probably brought them home. Well, and I think it was the choice of the girls where they went. I don't feel like it was because right when I looked up the children, they were both very happy where they were. Right. Very I'm sure that, yeah. that, yeah. But basically, money was not an issue for this family, which, of course, made them a target. And investigators wasted no time in piecing together a timeline of events that led to the discovery of the bodies in the upstairs bedrooms of the Woodland Drive mansion. And the fire alerted. No one, per, like, alerted the police. That's what the someone called the police. Someone saw about the fire. Yes, they it saw wasn't the fire. As if, okay, our right. friends are missing. We haven't talked no, to them. No, it was immediate. Okay. Okay. Now, not only that, but I didn't tell you about all their cars. Now, I never heard of a Mosler. Have you heard of a Mosler car? Mosler. Mosler. No, I'm okay. sure my children. It's have. a type of racing car, but I guess it can also be um, driven on the street. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, but they had Porsche. I mean, they had they had any vehicle you want. Okay. Ugh. All right. I just wanted to throw that out there. Mosler. I think it's a Mosler or Mosley. Look it up for me. Mosler. M O S L E R. I think. Okay. So on Wednesday, the this is the timeline that they pieced together. On Wednesday, May 13, 2015, ten-year-old Philip, who was called Flip by friends and family. Stayed home because he was recovering from a concussion that he suffered in a race car accident. Oh. Yeah. Okay. It's nice, isn't it? It's kind of Lamborghini-ish. Nice. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they had, they had one or two of those. Yeah. Okay. I was dropping a, my kid off at school the other day. Uh-huh. Maserati? No. There was um, a girl was getting out of a car, out of a McLaren. Okay. I don't even know what that it's is. It's kind of like, looks very okay. similar like that. Okay. And, and all, and you could see all the kids, they were like pointing everything and she looked so embarrassed. She was like holding her head down, you know? And I okay, was like, wait. So she was just really embarrassed and my kid was like, that's a McLaren. Well, my kid used to mm-hmm. duck down. He would, he was like, mom, just <laughs> drop me off right here. It'd be a block away from the school. <laughs> <was> like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I would have. I mean, my mom had like a '69 uh, 
Corvette for a little while. And I remember I used to rock that thing. Like, yeah, I'm, my mom's dropping me off at school. I would have yeah. been like, I wouldn't have been embarrassed getting out of a McLaren. <laughs> me neither. Okay. So anyway, Flip was home. Um, and I'm going to call him Philip because Flip just seems a little too casual for me. Who I don't even know him. But he was home because he had gotten in a car accident, a race car accident, and got a concussion. And his mom was home with him, as was Vera, one of their two beloved housekeepers. At 5.30 p.m., according to Nellie, the other housekeeper, Amy called her husband, telling him to come home to watch their son, Philip, because she had plans. Savas had been in Chantilly, making preparations for the grand opening of the martial arts studio. Now, I don't know how Nellie knew that Amy called her husband. I'm not sure how she knew that, um, but she's the one who reported this to the reporters. Okay. Maybe it was just that she was standing by or she said she I was not him. even there, but oh. it's possible that she did call him and he said, OK, well, Amy just called me and needs me to go home. That's yeah. possible for yeah. sure. Yes. OK. At 914 p.m., they know that someone in the house ordered Domino's pizza and they paid with the Savopolis's credit card. Investigators discovered that Amy instructed the driver to just leave the pizzas on the porch. She said, I have a sick kid and I can't come down to open the door. Just leave it there. Now, this is not at all odd to us today because of covid but in 2015 it really it really stuck out to the domino staff leaving on the porch that's weird okay yeah. yeah well some people are weird like that yeah i know i know because we used to own a pizza shop and we would deliver they're like don't knock don't knock the baby it's like well how the hell else am i going to tell you i'm here right right so all right at 9:30 p.m savas leaves a message for nelly the other housekeeper telling her not to come to work the next day he texted her that Amy was sick and that Vera was spending the night to help Amy. And Nellie's like, that's just really odd because the housekeepers never stayed the night at the mansion. And Vera always left work at the same time every day to go home and cook dinner and be with her own family. She didn't speak very good English. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, she would not have spent the night. She just thought that's really strange. Right. And they probably didn't text them and tell them, don't come into work. I mean, that probably never happened Well, before. Well, it may have happened before, but she said this was really strange because they were kind of stressed out about the opening of the martial arts mm -hmm. aca um, academy. And they had begged her, can you please come in on these two days? Because Nellie also had a business, a cleaning business. Oh, okay. They were hiring the cleaning business to go there to... Um, help clean up for the grand grand opening and it was something that, that amy had called her the day before and said look can you rearrange your schedule can we do this okay and then now it's changed now amy's sick and she just thought it was weird so on thursday may 14th vera's husband so this is the next day vera's husband bernardo alfaro and her stepdaughter go to the house looking for vera because she's not answering her phone they saw Amy's Porsche parked outside, but nobody answered the door when they knocked. They knocked, they rang the doorbell, they stood around, they walked around a little bit, and they're like, okay, there's no one here. So they pull out of the driveway, and the phone rings, and it's from Savas. And Savas said, look, my wife was feeling bad, and we asked Vera to go with her to the hospital. And Vera's husband later told reporters, he's like, my feeling was that somebody was inside while I was knocking. Oh, wow. So, so was thought, it really him making the call? It, As far as he knows, it was really him making the call. Okay. Mm -hmm. At 9.30 a.m., Nellie received a text from Amy saying, I'm just making sure you don't come in today. Nellie said that she called Amy back, but the call went straight to voicemail. She's like, I texted her. I hope everything is okay. But she didn't get a reply. 
Now, Nellie was concerned because the day before, Amy had begged her to come to work to help clean the martial arts studio before the grand opening, right. which is what I said. Investigators, okay. yeah, investigators also discovered that Savas drove himself to the studio on that on May 13th, which was not usual because usually he, his assistant would pick him up. Jordan Walsh, jo- Jordan Wallace usually drove him around. But um, on the next morning, May 14th, Wallace received a call from Savas telling him to go pick up $40,000 in cash from the bank and bring it to the house and leave it in the front seat of one of the cars in the garage. And, and you know, the... Okay, I mean, that seems crazy to us. It does seem crazy to us. But Wallace said it wasn't that odd because, you know, on a construction site, you know, maybe um, one of the contractors needs cash right away or whatever. So... It wasn't anything that was kind of like out of the ordinary, but leaving it in the front seat of a car in the garage just kind of was. Now, he did this, but along the way, he pulled over and took pictures of himself holding the cash, fanning it out, and he sent some of these pictures to his girlfriend. (laughs) I think he was only 23 or something like that. I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah, I've Mm -hmm. never held $40,000 in my hand. Um, have I? <laughs> no, I don't I have know. Not. <laughs> I have not either. Okay. So along the way, Wallace took, as I said, took pictures of himself. But the defense used this later to create reasonable doubt because they're saying, oh, well, you know, Wallace was the one with the money. It could have been him. Mm-hmm. But <sighs> surveillance shows that this employee arrived at the Savopolis home for a few minutes and then drove away. Like th- there was no other evidence that he was involved in any way. Right. So after establishing a timeline of sorts, investigators began to sift through the DNA evidence. And it was found throughout the scene. Vera's DNA was found on the handle of one of the baseball bats that had been used as a weapon. And in their crime scene reenactment, they came to believe that this showed she tried to fight off her attacker. Mm. Vera was a big-hearted mother of two who worked for years to send money home to her children in El Salvador so that they could have a better life. And ironically, she worked in what was considered to be one of the safest neighborhoods in Washington. Mm-hmm. Her son told reporters that she had peace knowing that her hard earnings allowed her family to live in a safer area. And that's what she had in mind when she persevered with working. Her dream was to one day retire and move back to her beloved native El Salvador to be with her family. That's so sad. Mm-hmm. Um, after this incident, the the family, the Savopolis family, like they, you know, the the daughters posted some, you know, thank everyone for your, your you know, grieving with us and you know for our beloved vera i mean she was a part of their family yeah all right so more dna was found on a discarded piece of crust in a pizza box this cracked the case wide open for them after they sent it to the crime lab pretty quickly they found a match to a guy named deron went so i wonder if he really is the one who ordered the pizza or if like he was already in the house and made them order pizza. I think he he made well. We're gonna get to that, but oh, okay. yeah, I'm pretty sure that he made them order the pizza because it, it was it. it I was, don't see this family eating Domino's. Um. I mean, yeah. They might. Who they knows? Might. Who knows? I mean, I don't. I don't. I see gourmet pizzas in there. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, maybe. But they were also, you know, that was one thing. One everybody kept saying is that they were down to earth. Hmm, maybe you they know? just liked a good I mean, Domino's pizza. They would go to the neighborhood. You know, they would just. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I don't know. All right, so they quickly, as I said, found a match to Duran Wint. Now, Wint's DNA was also found on the handle of a kitchen knife that had been used to prop open a basement window of the home. The probability that it could be someone other than Duran Wint was 1 in 10 billion, according to officials. Wow. 
DNA matching Duran Went was detected on the neck and tag area of a green construction vest that was found in Amy Savopoulos' Porsche that was found burning later on in the afternoon in a church parking lot in Prince George's County, Maryland. Hmm. It was the same day as the fire in Washington, not many hours later. In the days after the murders, a blue minivan known to be driven by Duran Went was also found on fire in Maryland. The location where the porch was found was adjacent to an apartment complex where Went and several family members lived. So they have... These are not criminal masterminds. Uh, I feel no. like I say that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, they also have... What do you call those? Oh, Lord. And I and I could... The footage. They're looking at their surveillance cameras, but they're the cameras that are... The traffic cams or... Oh, like the... Um, what are those called? CCTV. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. CCTV? Yeah. You know, those are all over the place. You probably can't go anywhere in D.C. and Washington without being on mm-hmm. camera. Like so in, so they tracked England, the, like yeah, they tracked her Porsche from that neighborhood mm-hmm. um, to all the way to the church. Like the and then they saw like, they left they, turn, or right yeah. turn, everything. Yeah. Yeah. And then they saw footage of a, um, a man getting out of the car, torching it, and then running down an alley. All right. Wow. Now... What I will say is that Went or whoever took their surveillance system. So they actually had a surveillance security camera and computer. He took the whole computer so he couldn't. There was no surveillance of the house at all oh, inside wow. or anything. Yeah, because they probably had it all wired yeah. with cameras on the inside yeah. and everything. All right. So this guy, Deron Went, was no stranger to crime. And he was suspect number one in the, in the murders, even though investigators at first believed that one person cannot have pulled off these murders alone. And they actually stated this publicly. We are looking for the criminals behind this. You know, we believe there is more than one person involved. They did say that, you know, when they did their, um, what are those, press release or whatever they're called. Mm -hmm. Now, the defense later latched on to this, which I'm going to get into. But Duran was born in Guyana, which is the home of the Jim Jones Kool-Aid Massacre. Mm -hmm. And he and his family moved to the United States when he was a teenager. He ended up getting a job at American Iron Works in 2005, and he worked there for three years before being fired for reasons I could not determine. Oh. So his family claims that Duran and Savas were friends, which I highly doubt. Although, like I said, AIW um, American Iron Work employees attest that Savas was a friendly, affable, approachable employer. So it doesn't make them friends, right? But maybe they, you know, would shoot the shit back and forth or whatever. I don't know. Friendly with each other, maybe. This guy was only employed there three years. And that was 10 years before the incident. Now, I did look up Deron Wentz's criminal record in Prince George County, Maryland, and it is long and scary. I wonder if he, like, came into some trouble. And he's like, what can I, like, maybe he needed money. He's like, what can I do? What can I do? And then he remembered, I used to work for this guy. I know where he lives. Like, it's that, like, I don't know. That's it's just- very possible. There are some things that I left out because there's so much to the story. Um, you know, Amy, uh, Nellie, the, the, the housekeeper said that Amy had told her, I just feel like somebody's watching our house. Now, I don't know if any of that's true, oh, but that's what Nellie told reporters. Um, you know, that they kind of felt like that they were being watched they saw some things mm-hmm. they saw you know some things kind of weird um, so it's scary. possible now what i do know is that this guy had numerous assaults thefts traffic violations and more his own family had to call the cops on him for his violent nature Jeez. he had numerous restraining orders put out against him for domestic violence against women 
Um, he had 31 charges in Prince George County alone. And I did not look anywhere else. Like, there are a lot of little counties around there. So I didn't look anywhere else. Um, so he might have more. He had numerous traffic charges with a spattering of crimes, like I said, ranging from domestic domestic violence to assault to burglary to theft. Now, I did watch one news source that did kind of a pretty long segment on Duran and said that he had recently committed two other home invasions not long before the mansion murders. It was like really? he was practicing. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Now, he was a scary dude. I mean, if your own family has to call the law on you, then there's a problem. Mm-hmm. Like, he just couldn't contain his violence. Former girlfriends told investigators that Went was abusive and controlling, and he wasn't above physically violent, being physically violent, to take what he wanted. If this guy saw something he wanted, he took it with force and intimidation. Ooh. You know, he's kind of like one of those guys that maybe a girl goes out on a first date with him, and then he kind of like intimidates her he's like oh i'm driving your car and you know he just like ends up moving into the house like two days later you know one of those kind of guys yeah. i don't know just he's just very Doesn't dominant no for an right or you are too scared to tell him no right yeah now police did not police did not publicly release Wint's name until after they positively matched his dna to the uneaten pizza crust that was left inside the mansion Police also had security camera footage that showed the Porsche leaving the mansion and reaching its final destination in the church parking lot near the Wenton family neighborhood. In addition, they had the camera footage and witness testimony that Went used a a tow truck to tow his blue van to its final resting spot where it was torched in the same manner as Amy's Porsche. Once police knew who the DNA belonged to, the manhunt was on. So they were looking for him. Of course, he wasn't around. No. Investigators determined that Went took a bus to Brooklyn, New York on Wednesday night to visit his girlfriend. Did he pick up the money? What do you mean, did he pick the up the money? $40,000. Well, yes. Okay. Did I miss that part? It was in the car. He it put it in the car. Right. But so, I yeah, know. he had the money. Oh, okay. Well, that's what we're assuming, yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's see. Late Wednesday or early Thursday, he, he well, he went to visit his girlfriend and then he hired a private cab to drive him back to dc now i imagine that this would be pricey to have a private cab drive you all the way back to dc from new york a car service yes okay police at the time okay so i you know uh, police at the time believe that the the money that he used to pay the cab was from the savopolises they also knew that went was on his back to the dc area because you know people are like all of his friends and family are calling, yeah, he's, he's coming back. He just called us. So they, they did have cooperation from friends and family who would, okay. who, would, who were hearing from him. Oh, good. Because they were probably scared to death. They are like, yes, please take him. And that that's <laughs> possible. I mean, well, I'm going to get to that in a minute. But okay. police at the time knew that he was on his way back. They just had to figure out where he was going. They did place him at a Howard Johnson's hotel where they planned to arrest him inside, but then plans changed because there were other people with him and they were all coming out. So they decide, okay, well, we'll just see where they're going. According to one investigator, things are always fluid when you're trying to find a human body and they're mobile. And before we could get to the hotel, two vehicles, a Chevy Cruze and a box truck left and he was in one of the vehicles. Multiple law enforcement agencies were involved. I mean, like ATF, U.S. Marshals, there were a bunch of them. Yeah, this is a major manhunt. Uh-huh, yeah. And 20 law enforcement vehicles follow the two vehicles waiting for the perfect moment to take down the car because they wanted to be certain that he was in the vehicle. 
Now, the cars, the, the Chevy Cruze and the box truck made a wacky U-turn. So, at first, the marshals thought that they had been made. But, apparently, they hadn't because the car just kept driving into... The caravan just drove into Washington, D.C. Just after 11 p.m., they finally made the arrest. Fernandez was the lead investigator. And he said, we reached the point where we knew we could tactically take them down safely. So, we did a vehicle pin maneuver on both vehicles and were able to stop them and arrest everybody with not a shot fired. Oh, well, that's good. Yes. Um, and I did hear testimony from the girl that was in the car and she, she just like, she got a bad vibe from Went. She didn't know him. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's like, next thing I know, I thought we were in an accident, but it was police. She's like, then I'm arrested and I'm freaking out. And she was really young. So yeah. that's traumatic. Went was in the Chevy Cruze with another man and two women. These are girls I was telling you about. And then two other men were in the second vehicle. They were all arrested, but Went was the only one arrested for the murders and arson. No one else was charged for the crime. Actually, the other ones were let go after they determined. Yeah, just took them all in to find out what. Now, there were um, numerous items recovered from the Chevy Cruze and the box truck that included 10 Western Union money orders for $1,000 each, MoneyGram receipts, a Samsung phone, a black and pink drawstring bag with clothing items, including one piece that appeared to be a gray long sleeve shirt, $13,300 in money orders, $7,381 in cash, and most of it in $100 bills. Damn. So he had a lot of cash. Went, went to trial in 2018. So I'm kind of like speeding this up a little bit because a lot of this stuff comes out in the trial. Okay. In his opening statement, prosecutor Christopher Bruckman told jurors that Duran Went used two baseball bats and a sword to kill the victims before dousing them with gasoline and setting the home on fire. Jeez. So they were beaten with baseball bats and slashed and stabbed. They were tortured. With a sword? Mm-hmm. Golly. It was probably like a it was, some sword off the wall. It was. It was a samurai, a samurai sword, sword, I believe. Mm-hmm. It was. Prosecutors said that Went entered the Savopolis home on the morning of May 13, 2015. Uh, he had on a construction vest, so it wasn't odd that somebody would come by, you know, maybe from the company to get something or whatever. So he was let in. Figueroa was home with Philip because Amy had left to go get coffee. So when Amy came home, um, returned home, she was also subdued. So she comes back and her son and her housekeeper are, yeah, there's a man in her house with them. All right. By late afternoon, prosecutors said Went had forced Amy Savopoulos to telephone her husband and summon him home without alarming him that she, their son, and Figaro were in danger. Firefighters called to the burning home the next day found the four bodies inside. Prosecutors said Went's DNA was found on a discarded slice of Domino's pizza, as I said, that had been delivered to the house the night the victims were held hostage. Authorities said they also found Wentz DNA on a knife in the basement of the house. I'm repeating stuff. Um, But they also found a hair uh, matching Wentz on a bed where the adults' bodies were found. At first, investigators were saying that more than one person had to have been involved, and the defense latched onto this. However, I mean, what do you think? Because... I mean, Savas is a martial artist. He owns his own martial arts studio. Well, yeah, but I, I think that more DNA would have been left behind. They would have found it. If there was right, one person. right. And but, if, I mean, maybe he was just trying to reason with the guy. Right. Because if they were friends, 
then maybe he was like, okay, listen, I'll do whatever you need me to right. do. And he was trying to like rationalize with him on, on his level and not, right. I'm going to try to whoop your ass level. Or, you know what? Maybe he's got the sword on, on his son's neck. Yeah. Or, and that's going to subdue somebody, don't you think? Yes. So, yes, I do believe one person, if he already had the other two adults tied up and they were found tied up in chairs, um, bound yeah. in chairs, and, you know, Philip's sick he's you know he's already down for the count and yeah. he did have some he did have some physical other physical um I mean, but if he came in and he mm-hmm. subdued the older woman right okay then he subdued a 10 year old right and then the mom came home he ha- he didn't have to subdue all three of them at the same time right. exactly so then he tied her up and then the dad came home and he quickly i mean the dad might have opened up the door and he might have just attacked it right and so, the dad had no inkling at all that anything was going on yeah. um so <clears throat> You know, everybody's saying it couldn't happen. He's a martial artist. He owns his own martial arts studio. But, you know, if there's another person involved, that person was never caught. Philip was in the room while the other three were in the next door bedroom. Amy and Salvas may have cooperated out of fear for their child in the room next door. Whatever the case, they were beaten, tortured, and murdered in their own home. Damn it, man. Then doused with gasoline and set on fire. That's fucking terrible. Mm -hmm. According to testimony, days after the killings, Went used his cell phone to do Google searches that included how to beat a lie detector test, and 10 hideout cities for fugitives. <laughs> you can Google that. I guess you can. <laughs> you don't want it caught on your phone, though. No. Uh, Went didn't show much emotion during the trial until his fiance, the girl that he went to visit in New York, Devani Hales, testified. She testified that three days after the killings, Went took a bus to New York to visit her. She said that he was flashing numerous $100 bills, and he's like, we're going to go on a shopping spree. I won the lottery. I sold my minivan. You know, I'm loaded right now. Many other people testify for the prosecution, including Duran's own stepmother. She said that Duran, who lived with him, did not come home the night of the 13th, and that when he did finally show up, he was acting quite strangely. Um, she also provided alibis for the other two sons because Duran tried to pin the crimes on them, which I'm going to talk about in just a minute. Oh, I'm sure he did. Yeah. So he took the witness stand on his own behalf, with, which really surprised a lot of people because, you know, most people don't. And no. this guy's a narcissist. He thinks he's smarter than everybody. Clearly, Because yeah. usually people don't allow. I mean, like the defense is like, no, 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 no. You don't well, need to do that. Right. Yeah. So he testified that after they arrived, oh, okay, so he testified that his half-brother, Darrell, had tricked him into going to the house for a drywall and paint side job. Went testified that after they arrived at the Savopolis mansion, Darrell told him the plan to burglarize the house. And Went said, yeah, I was there. I ate a slice of pizza. But as soon as I knew what was going on, I got the hell out of there. He said, I never even saw or heard the victims. Well, my question is, buddy, how did your hair get on the bed? Yeah. I guess a hair could get on his brother and, and make its way up there. Yeah, I guess that I could happen. His brother's hair. Would his be brother's DNA would be somewhere, yeah. right? Yes. Okay. Oh, and remember that I told you that right after the murders, the investigators publicly stated that they were looking for more than one perpetrator mm-hmm. because they didn't believe only one person could have been behind this. The defense latched on that, as I said, mm-hmm. to try to create reasonable doubt. Wentz public attorney said that there was no way Went acting alone could have broken into the house, restrained three adults, cut the home security system, and set the house on fire. He says this just can't happen. So this might seem rather unlikely to most people that only one person could pull this off. But think of it this way, and this is a prosecutor. If someone came into your house with a gun to your child's head, what would you do? You're unarmed and your child is hurt. Now, I don't know if there is a gun. I actually said this, not the prosecutor. (laughs) I mean, I'm thinking, you know, like, and I already said this, that if my child was threatened, I would not try to 
fight. No. Mm-mm. You know, I'm not. I'm going to give the guy whatever the fuck he wants just to get him out of the house. Now, if you're hurting, if you hurt my child in front of yes. me, you be prepared to and, kill me and I, I'm about to go Yes. And, you know, there is evidence that uh, they did try to fight a little bit. Like I said, Vera and um, there was there was other evidence that, you know, the DNA on the sword looked like maybe, you know, there was a little bit of scuffle there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that for sure because yeah. I. Prosecutors put numerous witnesses on the stand, including com- computer and forensic experts and Wentz family members. Wentz's brother, Darrell and Stefan, testified that they had nothing to do with the killings. Oh, also, Duran's social media updates went silent during the hours in question, and this was not the norm for him because he was prolific. He was a prolific social media poster. So, like, you know, he would <laughs> post all... Prolific. <laughs> Much like other people we know. <laughs> Um, so, uh, they also claim that the 2015 murders were motivated by greed and vengeance, right? Uh, Wint had a long standard, long standing grudge against Savas for getting fired over a decade ago from American Ironworks. And he felt that he deserved some of the lifestyle the family had. Now, of course, that's the prosecutor saying that, but it's believable. Yeah, definitely. Did you say, or did you? What he actually got fired for? I, I could never find that. Oh, yeah, you said that. Mm-hmm. You said that. I could never find that. Hmm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Prosecutors told jurors that even if they believed Went could not have done these crimes alone, he still should be found guilty because he was there. He was there, yeah. It doesn't matter if he had help or not. He's still guilty. Yep. In October 2018, the jury deliberated less than two full days before coming back with a verdict. Duran Went stood up as the verdict was read guilty he was found guilty on four counts of first degree murder while uh, while armed in the course of a kidnapping four counts of first degree murder while armed in the course of a burglary four counts of first degree premeditated murder while armed four counts of kidnapping and one count of first degree burglary extortion arson and first degree theft the lead prosecutor told reporters these verdicts bring a measure of closure to the families the horror that these victims went through no one should ever have to experience Deron Went is in fact guilty of committing these crimes. The jurors got it right. That's what he said. Good for him. Now, during his sentencing hearing on February 1st, 2019, Judge Juliet McKenna said that Deron's treatment of the victims, holding them hostage, beating them with bats, stabbing. Like four years to go to court. It's, it, I mean, it usually takes well, that long. It took, then, yeah. yeah, it took, you know, a while. Usually it takes about a year before they go to trial and then, yeah. Oh. Um, his sentence, he, he was sentenced on February 1st, 2019. And the judge said that, um, holding the host, holding the, the, um, victims hostage, beating them with bats, stabbing them, and then setting them on fire was heinous, atrocious, and cruel. Deron went was sentenced to four life sentences without the possibility of release. Good. Yeah. So there are a lot of great articles out there. If you want to read some of them, I have some of them on my show notes. Uh, the links to them. But there's also a really good podcast called 22 Hours, an American Nightmare. I listened to the first episode called Fire. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I don't want to listen anymore because I don't want it to cloud my own research. Right. Um, but I'll probably go back and listen to it. So yeah, I put it yeah. on my on my list. I'll probably listen okay. to it after yeah. I'm done with the one I'm listening to now. Yeah. So um, check it out if you want to learn more about this family, because I you know, this is just a very quick rendering of every of the events that happened yeah um yeah it is now the daughters are 
one of them I know for sure is married and they're both, you know, living their best life. So That's wonderful. Yeah. I hope they're carrying on their parents. Uh, they are. They are actually. And I know that um like they did a lot of things for um hurricane relief for was it Maria that hit down there in the Caribbean, like Puerto Rico yes, and Maria. Um, mm -hmm. like uh, shortly before the Virgin Islands was, was it Irma hit the Virgin Islands? Oh, One of them and then so, Irma hit like Tampa, my mm -hmm. friend yeah. lost her house. Yeah. Like people in Tampa don't lose their houses to hurricanes very no, often. No. There's just flooding. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they, I know that they were, they've done a lot for that, That's but awesome. they're still very much devoted to their church and all that. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. So that's it for murder today. Thank you. Yeah. So Cindy, you want to reveal the winners of our 50th episode giveaway? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. And I have already messaged these individuals okay. from our, um, from our Facebook page. Okay. Actually, it'll come from Cindy I W M. Okay. It wasn't me. Yeah. Yeah. And we and we're leaving off last names just because we don't know if you want to be publicly publicly named. Yes. So if you um have the same name, check to see if you got a message from us or from Cindy. If you don't, if you have the same name and you didn't, you're not the lucky winner. I'm so sorry. Yes. So Will, Shannon, Rachel. Shane and Christina, congratulations. Yay. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. Yay. <laughs> All right. So thanks again for listening to this week's murder. We appreciate sharing our passion with you. And we thank you for your support. If you'd like to support us even further, please consider subscribing to our podcast and leaving us a five-star rating with a comment. Please leave a comment. Don't just leave a two-star rating with no comment. That doesn't help us. Your oh. subscription and ratings are essential to our success, and you can do this on your favorite platform. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. We are so grateful to spend our time, our time together to share our murderous stories. Thank you so much for your support. Please recommend It Wasn't Me to your true crime-loving friends and family. Also, thank you to our Patreon, Patreon supporters. You are the extra. You too can become one of our beloved patrons by signing up at patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. Thank you again, guys. And remember, it, it wasn't, wasn't me. me.